It's like I told Witt after the first two years, you hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets. I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot stop fighting the good fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void, <laughs> and that's what I like doing. Get you somebody not... that loves spruce tips as much as Pete does. Why did I pick Pitt to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm more. Do we need to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility? 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is roasty goodness, even though I was What's out. What's the percent on that? 11. Smells like you're drinking like a cleaning solution. We're going to put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn after work before the podcast. Welcome to 2D Pokies Under the Influence, brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. My name is Pete Berthaud, and my co host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech beat Middle Tennessee 35 to 14. Robbie, I'm pumped to get that cover. Give us a cheers. This is more pour one out for uh, Mr. James Mitchell, who's going to be out for uh, out for the season. Sorry to uh, lead with not not so fun news, but um, it, it really sucks for him and the way it happened, uh, everything about it. So let's hope that he gets better, heals up, uh, his knee gets better, and whatever his future may lead to, whether it's staying with Virginia Tech or moving on, trying to play in the NFL. I just hope the best for him. It, it was really an unfortunate situation. Yep. To the governor. We didn't even really have time to get fully behind that nickname before he got hurt. It's I such know. a bummer. And the key play tweeted out today the double stiff arm that he had in the first game, which was just so awesome and Hopefully we'll be seeing gifts of that for years to come, but I do feel for James, and hopefully he will get better as quick as possible. Moving on to some better news. We moved up in the AP poll. We are now ranked number 15. Clemson is number 6, UNC at number 21, and Miami at 24. It was another kind of wacky week in college football. Oregon beat Ohio State, which I'm sure didn't go over well in your household. Iowa beat Iowa State, which didn't work out for my pick. And then we had Arkansas upsetting Texas and Stanford upsetting USC. Crazy day. Yeah, that is it, – it's hard to know where to go. So uh, Texas is probably the worst loss out of all of those, just the way that they got steamrolled. Um, but, At least it's to a rival, I guess. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a good look to lose by two touchdowns when you're number 15. <laughs> Yeah, an SEC team losing to another SEC team. So uh looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're going to be future conference mates too. And But that one did – that one surprised me more than the Stanford one, I'd say, yeah. is Arkansas beating Texas. Yeah, and Stanford for those that uh, – that uh, first of all, Stanford the week before and just in general has been – they've really fallen off a cliff. Trending and, down, and, uh, yes. Trending it down. And so – they really put uh, Clay Helton to bed, uh, literally, because he was promptly fired. Was it that night or was it the next day uh, after that? Next loss? day or the two days after, something like that. It was quick. It was quick. And he is not the first chip to fall because we already had Randy Etzel go at UConn, but definitely the biggest, right? Yeah, definitely. So, But that was a long time coming. He's been on the hot seat since, I want to say, like 2018 or something, uh, ever since he 
won the Rose Bowl many years ago. I feel like the next season after that, he was on the hot seat. But he's gone now. That Oregon win is huge for the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 has not acquitted itself well. You think the ACC is bad? Outside of Oregon, they've had a nightmare over in the Pac-12 out out of conference. Uh, But the ACC sucks too. NC State let me down. They lost to Mississippi State. Syracuse lost to Rutgers. Uh, I know they turned the ball over a little bit, but, you know, whatever. Miami almost lost to App State, but they did manage to pull it out, which was good for the ACC to not lose that game. But FSU, man, (laughs) they go out. Oh, my goodness. And on the last play, give up a Hail Mary kind of play to Jacksonville State where they just didn't tackle. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, they just didn't didn't. It was a hail mary that didn't even make it to the end zone. That's the worst right. part. It was and just missed tackles. I don't even know what to say other than I did think it was. I didn't see it was Jacksonville State that beat them. At first, I thought it was Jackson State that beat them. <laughs> who's actually over the past few years started a, has beat some some big time programs. I think they had a win a couple of years well, ago. Well, that's they Dion, kept, right? Yeah, that's and then I I was telling people I was like is that Dion Sanders? Uh, uh and no, it's not. Jacksonville State, which is actually even worse uh than uh, than <laughs> but such a bad look. Uh yeah. the only thing that was good was our win and you know, the people catching the cat hanging from uh, the wire in the Miami game. Those were the only <laughs> things that really happened that were positive. Yeah, catching the cat with the American flag. We did have Pitt and UVA carrying the flag for the conference, I suppose, <laughs> in yeah, the sense that's... that they got the job done against some bad teams, although Pitt, like, took them, like, everything they had kind of to beat Tennessee, who really isn't very good. UVA looked good against Illinois, but that gets me to the point of the schedule softening up. It's something I want to talk about a little later on, but between injuries and the ACC just not looking good, our schedule's getting easier every week that goes by. But let's let's cover that a little bit later. We are 23 in the Massey composite. UNC is actually back ahead of us at 19, and West Virginia's 46 in that composite. The SP Plus, we moved up to 21. UNC actually bounced back up to 12, which I was shocked to see. And West Virginia comes in at 43 in the SP+. So if you went by their projections, the fact that they're at home, it's a close matchup. Like yeah. It's going to be a really close matchup according to the SP+, and just in my head as well, but we will get to that. You came off the top with the Mitchell news. Uh, we couldn't get through the one week you know, of playing a kind of a down opponent and just get staying healthy. Uh, just brutal. BC and NC State, same thing for them. Just brutal injuries this past weekend. We had the Burmeister scare as well, which oh. when he took that shot, I that could have been really bad. I thought it was. I, I just uh, I was watching it on my phone at this point. I was uh, I had my brother's wedding this weekend. I was <laughs> in the car trying to watch it, and I did so. I didn't see much of the game. I had to watch it. Uh, watch it again, which would. Talk about a bear to try and find a way to watch this game after the fact. Oh, my goodness. Um, it was – well, anyway, I'll talk about that in a second. It aired on ACC Network like 5 in the morning, and my DVR caught it for me. But if yeah. you didn't get that, I don't know how you would have watched it. Well, then I went on to the ACC Network app on their, or their website to watch it because I have Verizon, so usually you can watch it that way. The day that I tried – I tried to watch it on Sunday so I could knock it out, and it was locked. The game was locked, so you had to subscribe to ESPN what? Plus 
tried it again last night and I guess they unlock it, but then they lock some other games. This is getting so outrageous at this point. And I was so annoying, it. man. But yeah, to get back to Burmeister, I saw it on my phone. I was scared. I, I had to, I put my phone away at the minute. I was just like, oh no, here we go. I can't, I can't watch what's going to happen. Luckily he came back a few series later. And the last bit of injury news was just that, uh, Kavanta Jenkins missed the game Saturday with an injury, which we didn't know going in, but he supposedly is going to be back. Uh, if not this weekend, very soon. So let's get into the game recap and then give our reactions it was a slow start for Virginia Tech. We went three and out on our first two possessions, a total of negative six yards. But then we put together a 15-play, 92-yard drive, capped with the beautiful touchdown pass to Robinson at the end of the first quarter. That was a dime, man. Yeah, that throw, That's a he's thrown that a bunch. That one was a little bit closer in. Uh, it wasn't as far over to the, the sideline as some of his others, but... I think that's like the fourth time we've thrown that fade route over to the left-hand side. And this one, there was one other one was perfect. Robinson had stepped out in the last game uh, against uh, UNC for another one. Um, but we got this one in, and it was it was a perfect pass. Just uh, Definitely seems to be one of Burmeister's strengths, that, that route. We added the TD on the run by Blumrick in the second quarter, and Middle Tennessee got on the board with a touchdown before the half to make it 14-7. to in the third quarter, the Hokies' offense got back on track. Long TD run by Halston with a nice little sidestep. And the TD scrum, I'll call it, by Blackshear, <laughs> which made it 28-7. to um, Before Blackshear got in again uh, with a one-yard run, set up on the nice run down the sideline by Blumrick. Middle Tennessee added a touchdown and essentially garbage time. And the game ended 35-14. to Hokies win. Like I said, right as I kicked off the podcast, we won and we covered which, as you listened to me last week, I didn't think that was an easy cover for Virginia Tech. I don't bet on Tech, but when the line comes out, I assess whether we're going to cover or not, and I just thought, no way. So I came away impressed, considering the emotional game we're coming off with UNC. Yeah, I, I agree. It was set up for... And with all the weird stuff that's happening across college football right now, just add that to it. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing teams, FCS teams, lower team FBS teams, give everybody heartburn mm-hmm. right now. Uh, this was a spot that I could have seen, and we talked about it on the podcast. We could have seen that happening. And at first, after the first two, three and outs, uh, I started thinking, eh, the first half in general wasn't great. I, I wouldn't characterize it. We turned it on in the second half. The defense clamped up, uh, which was nice to see. But uh, we definitely had to make some adjustments after that that first half. Uh, not that it seemed like the game was at risk, but you know it wasn't it wasn't our most solid in play that uh, that we've seen out there. Yeah, it was just kind of meh. Like the whole game, and we've heard this term a bunch this week. Vanilla. The game plan was vanilla. And the game in general was just kind of a meh, whatever game. But exactly, you nailed it. So many teams have been bitten already this year by worse teams coming into their house or you know going on the road and losing. And hey, we stood the course. We won by three scores. I'm, I'm not going to poo-poo it too much. It was a slow start, but a very strong finish. And I thought that was the story of the game. I want to talk about the offense first like some of the positives and we'll do the negative and bounce over to defense because obviously the defense played pretty well but on the positive side three touchdowns on the first three possessions in the second half and that ended the game we had 240 yards on the ground 
5.7 yards per carry, and it wasn't even a ton of long runs. We were getting consistent chunks. Yeah, I agree. And it came from a, a couple of different, I think, uh, Burmeister did it again. This is two games in a row where he's found holes and he's really used his legs you know, almost to our detriment when he got took that one bad hit. He did try <laughs> yeah. to he did try to slide. I, I wasn't a big fan of that uh, the personal foul hit that that he got hit with. So, but he found he found yards. He, he knew when to to take it and and run. That'll lead to something else that is a little bit of a concern. But I'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, Blackshear. We said we wanted to see more from him uh, last podcast. We did. His runs looked a lot more solid. His vision looked better. I don't know if we were opening up better gaps for him or the gaps we were opening fit his style better. Holston, I think he had a better game against UNC, but still that long long run for a touchdown was really nice. Uh, I think Blackshear had a, a better day overall, but those two are starting to coalesce into a, a bit of a one-two punch, which I thought was was nice. So the run game I thought was was solid. Yeah. With three touchdowns from those two guys you just mentioned, 84 yards total, and Blackshear absolutely had a huge game. He really stepped up right after I talked about him last week. He made a lot of people miss in this one. He got extra yards, confident, quick cuts from both guys. And Blackshear just looks better this year than he did last year. It's only two games, but he looks better, and that's very exciting because they use him out of the backfield too, and he can be so versatile. And with the loss of Mitchell, that is going to be key going to this West Virginia game. Moving over to the negative stuff, we weren't clicking early. And even the first touchdown drive wasn't just a thing of beauty. It was a grind, but we got there. And Burmeister had an okay day. It was an average day. Some nice throws, particularly that TD pass. And he seems to be going through his reads, but he's kind of hesitating analysis. What is it? Paralysis by analysis, is that what they say? Like kind of not letting the ball go when he should. And when he did throw, and you can speak to this more, I I thought I saw a lot of like underthrows or overthrows or both. Yeah, it's I'm trying to read what he's doing, but it's it's a lot of different things happening, and I can't put my finger on all of it. Some of it looks like he's ready to release when he's got a decent pocket off the snap, and then he pulls it back. And he does kind of a pump, and you'll see it a few times, especially in this game. And then once he does that, I don't I don't know how to evaluate the offensive line because he has enough time to get a pass out at that point. Then the then it starts to break down. The offensive line, even if it's showing a little bit of breakage, he bails. A lot of mm-hmm. his throws, a lot more than any quarterback we've had over the last five, six years, are on the run. And it hasn't bit him yet. A lot of them he threw in this game out of bounds. Honestly, a, a staggering number, which is good. I mean, he's being safe. Um, I'm just worried he's a little bit skittish, I feel like, in the pocket. And I probably need to pay more attention to whether there's real breakdowns on the offensive line on the pass rush or or whether he's just getting skittish and, and bailing out. But he's avoided the bad decisions in doing that. He's, he's throwing it out at the wrong... But I think we're leaving a lot of yards out on the on the field that we could be you know bringing in on some of those passes, and it's so tough these days. And maybe one day it's hard to see if guys are open downfield. You know, a lot of times in the way that games are shot, you can't see the wide receivers and the angles that we get. You can't see because they're off the screen, so you can't mm-hmm. actually see except for the shorter routes. Any of the longer routes, you don't really know if they're they're you know. You'll see some guys short on on your, but you don't know where he was planning on going with the ball. So it's a little bit. It all takes over until the, place. the next day or two to like 
see the bigger like shot and notice, Oh, he was supposed to go to that guy and just didn't see him or whatever. And what you were kind of hinting at earlier is he's almost too risk averse with the ball. Like he's trying so hard not to make a mistake that he just doesn't let it rip. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I prefer that than the opposite. I'd prefer that than three T you know, three turnovers in a game. He hasn't thrown, um, uh, he had the one interception last game, but that was just kind of weird. But he didn't have any in this game, so it's good. He's got to find a balance. Yeah, and it's it's so weird because we talked about the run game, and it's good. But if you look at the pass plays, even the passes are runs. We got screen plays all over the place. Um, we have you know bubble screens. We have a lot of those are effectively run plays. The way that we're you know we're throwing them three to four yards behind the line of scrimmage. Um, getting some blockers in front of people and then doing it. It's uh, essentially, um, it's augmenting the run game a bit. So I don't know what to think of this this pass attack yet. I, I like where the run game's going, but I haven't been able to totally, you know, get my finger on whether we can actually have a, a solid passing game. It reminds you so much of last year. And whether it was Hooker or Burmeister last year, it it's a lot of the same stuff. There's not a certain cohesion or rhythm to it. On a different note, he took a lot of hits, Burmeister. And so that holding the ball too long or, like you said, kind of running around a little bit, eight carries, just one sack, but we had six more hurries and all those scrambles or whatever. Like He took a bunch of shots, and like he really needs to avoid that as much as he can, like you were talking about with the sliding thing. The wide receivers, they struggled to get separation most of the day. There was some obvious times they were open but just getting off the line of scrimmage getting open has been tough for them and even with the starting corners like not really playing for middle tennessee state so there were some guys that were out because of covid or whatever else and Mm -hmm. we still had a hard time taking advantage of that secondary 159 passing yards that's fine for a day like then when you run for two 240 250 but i expected a little bit more yeah i don't know what's happening Honestly, I don't know. I don't know why we can't get separation. That's never been. I feel like it's the biggest problem that we've. It's big, a bigger problem now than we've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And we have the talent. I know now Mitchell's gone, but I, we have the talent and, and some guys that can typically with speed, um, their route running ability, things like that can, can usually get some separation. It doesn't seem to be much of it right now or the timing is off between the wide receivers and, and Burmeister, so it looks like it's not off. Yeah, and and I think if Burmeister gets his timing a little bit more precise and throw guys open, maybe we'd see a little bit more separation because that's so key. You need to know where your guys are going to be, and you need to anticipate where they're going to be and let that thing rip. So we'll see, but I know we're not going to win the Coastal throwing for 165 yards a game. Like that, that's just not going to happen. Uh, 106th in FBS in, you know, passing yards per game, which I know isn't a perfect metric, but like no good team passes for under 200 yards a game. <laughs> like yeah. unless, unless army or Navy's having a good year. <laughs> yeah. It, there's the deep pass to Turner that he threw in the third quarter, which was another beautiful ball. So it's there. You can yeah. see it. And I, he's capable. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that we need to run them all the time. I just mm-hmm. there's something funky about the way that they're getting introduced, and um, it it seems 
it seems like we could be doing it more often, but yeah, who am I? I'm, we won the game and... Um, we won the game. Yeah, that's... that's. And, and we should emphasize, uh, just as every other tech person and podcast is like, it was like a nothing game plan. Just yeah. like the most plain, basic, go out and play, win the game game plan. So we're not going to knock them too much for it, but it, it, it's not something that we've seen for the first time. We, we saw it all of last year and some of the previous years as well. Let's go into the defense. It wasn't the dominating performance we saw against UNC, but it was pretty darn good. We only gave up seven points until garbage time and just 349 yards total, 4.6 yards per play, and we got the nine tackles for loss as a team again and another three hurries. So we got good consistent pressure, brought guys down in the backfield, and I think Nazir Peoples is a budding star for this team. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, it kicked things off with the, that tackle for a loss by Garbit right at the beginning, set set a pretty good tone. The team didn't allow a first down until the beginning of the second quarter, uh, which nice. was nice. I know that was because we were running the ball a lot, and that'll eat up some clock. Uh, you know, I, I thought up front we did well. Jordan Williams had the nice half sack with Dax. So oh, dude, he, that was a great sack. He really should have got the whole thing. Yep, absolutely. And then another nice kind of dirty blitz from Connor for the sack, which was... So I felt like there was pressure there. I thought that was all really good. Peoples with the 11 tackles, eight of those solo, like you said. I And Dax had, you know, two tackles for a loss. I thought it was really good overall up front. I came away a little bit more worried about the, the pass... Or the pass... Um, um, the DBs Defense. and what they were doing. It was... There was a lot of long third down passes that got completed and it seemed like they people had way too much way too much buffer. It was like a lot of off-man coverage and it seemed kind of easy for them to to make those passes. So I, that one seemed a little bit strange considering how solid that was in particular the game prior with UNC against Sam Howell. Yeah, I think they just weren't really challenging the wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. They're kind of playing off, keeping things in front of them. Again, basic stuff. And it allowed for them to get some pass plays, you know, on out patterns and that kind of thing. But it's not anything I'm going to worry about. Waller, you know, he did have five tackles and the interception, and he is looking like a beast again. Like, he is really looking good. I love the way Waller looks. It was nice to see Hunter get in there and make some tackles. We also had Artis get in at backer. He got a tackle for a loss, and he just missed an interception. And it kind of went right through his hands, but yeah. but he just missed it. Yeah, it was close. And that, that interception by Waller was just beautiful. Absolutely perfect coverage the way he nabbed it. So it was it was really nice. Connor continues to be very good with the two tackles for loss. He got that sack, the pass, a pass breakup and a forced fumble. Like you said, their passing stats were kind of decent, like 283 yards, two touchdowns, just one pick, 135 rating. But I was never worried at any point in the game, even when it was 14 to seven and we're kind of looking sluggish. I, I was never worried. I knew yeah. that if we needed to turn it up a notch, we would turn it up a notch. And we allowed just 40, uh, what was it? We allowed just 66 yards rushing. And after last year, <laughs> to see a, a day like that, even against a lowly team, to give up 1.8 yards per carry, yep. that is, that's really nice. Yeah. And to your point, I think the reason it was because the, the defensive backs and 
the corners were were giving were keeping everything in front of them to your point so yes they were getting completions but there was no damage really done and we were making up for it by stuffing the run so it, it was it was a very conservative approach whereas i think in unc we came out and knew we had to play very aggressive mm -hmm. and so i'm fine with it I, I you know let's let's see what happens in a bunch of the games we have coming up and overall no damage done it just looked a little bit different than the week before a casualty of playing that way what was amari barno was just missing in action like mm -hmm. he played he was out there he didn't record a single stat no Pass breakups, no tackles, no TFL, nothing. And if you told me that going into that game, I, I would have never believed you. Like, I am floored that he didn't get – because I watched the game. Like, I saw him out there. He was he was kind of like almost making a tackle here, almost making a tackle there. And I, they were probably doubling him, and he was yeah. probably having a hard time getting off some of those doubles. But, like, it's Middle Tennessee State. Get off the double and <laughs> make a play, man. <laughs> so he has been nothing short of a stud since he started playing DN last year. But I did find that a little shocking. And maybe this was just a little, like, cat and mouse game for this upcoming week. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want to show everything. So it, when it was in hand, there's no reason to, you know, and it was perfect get the backups in, get some other people some reps. It was, it was fine. And then, you know, to round things out, this special teams, Robinson, uh, had the long punt return in the second quarter. It was 59 yards, just absolutely um, started. It caught it on the left and then went all the way over to the uh, the right sideline with that one. And then King had the kick return that I thought could have gone all the way. He tripped over the turf right after yeah. he had broken through. And I, I think he was taking that to the house. Um, and I think that ended up... That one might have been negated. I couldn't tell if there was a block in the oh, back. Oh, yeah, that and, one got called back, but the first one of the game... yeah was awesome so he had multiple returns that he he played it correctly and yeah. you know had the vision and his blocking was set up right so that's encouraging to yeah. have that return game looking the way it is tavion is leading me acc in punt return average right now it's it's just two games just a few punts but hey he's fourth nationally and leading the acc so i'll take it yep. the takeaways for me from this game uh were just like i said earlier winning by three tds after unc that's that's a damn nice win and the passing game on offense, it's going to be an issue. And unless we start to see Braxton Burmeister play faster and just improve his level of play, it's it's going to be rough this year in the passing game. We've been penalized very little so far. And so mm -hmm. that is also good to see and a sign of a well-coached veteran team. So that's, that's a positive. And going forward, it's all going to be about replacing James Mitchell and – how challenging that will be on the field as well as off the field. Cause I know he was a locker room leader. And a lot of times that's leading by example, not just being there. Cause he'll still be around the team. Yeah. I, I my real takeaway is around Burmeister and how is that going to develop as the season progresses? Because he's running the ball so well, he's finding times to get out and he's getting yardage, but this was a middle Tennessee game and I felt like that hit could have taken him out for the season already. And we've talked to, we talked at the beginning, our first preview episode and said, the talent on this team is such that if things go our way, in particular injury wise, then it can be really good. But if we get into injury trouble, it can go downhill pretty quickly. And we've lost Mitchell. 
now. We can't afford to lose Burmeister. We saw Kadem out there. We saw the running by, uh, I think, uh, Blumberg came in for one of a couple of the uh, rushes. And that the fall off is, is it's pretty steep, as you would expect. So I, I'm worried without that passing to take some of the pressure, I feel like Burmeister is either self-inflicting or is actually there and to gain those yards we could we could find ourselves in in a hairy position yeah because it doesn't seem as if you're gonna trust blumrick to throw the ball essentially at all and katum maybe he can throw it around a little bit but if if bb is qb1 and he's struggling to throw the ball. How good do you think Kadem is at throwing the ball? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? They picked Braxton Burmeister for a reason. So I, I we don't want to have to play Knox Kadem. So we need we need Braxton to stay healthy. I want to do the West Virginia preview because I'm ready to move on to a game where we won't have a vanilla game plan and actually see some of our guys really, you know, up in people's faces making plays. But first, I want to talk about our sponsor. Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. This these places are great. You got Dominion, it's right in Virginia where most of our beloved Hokies live, Northern Virginia Falls Church, right on West Broad Street. They got an outdoor setup, they got an indoor setup, beers on tap. It's a really great store with an excellent local beer selection. The Oktoberfests are out, the pumpkin beers are out. Make sure you go there. And if you need something for your wife, or maybe you just like to relax and watch the game with the Pinot Noir, they got an incredible wine selection as well. I mean, it's called beer and wine, so you know you know they got it. And the great thing about them, as well as Downtown Crown, is the staff is always willing to help you pick stuff out. Yeah, that's right. I've gone in there and gotten a few bottles of wine, normally giving them to others, or my wife loves wine, so we'll, we'll get some for her. And I couldn't pick out a good wine if you only if you had two in front of me, I would pick out the wrong one. Uh, <laughs> and so, and they have they'll walk you through, they'll ask you where you're going, the normal stuff, price range, but they'll really give you suggestions on what they like, and um, they're not guiding you towards price or anything like that. They're they're really guiding to you towards you know what what they like and what they think would be good based on what you're telling them. So I love it. Yeah, and they got the online ordering, they got curbside pickup. Yeah, it's just a really job well done at, at both of those locations. So make sure you hit them up in Gaithersburg, hit them up in Falls Church, Downtown Crown Wine and Beer, and Dominion Wine and Beer. For right now, Robbie, I need to know what you're drinking. So I said last week on this podcast I was going to have something, and it would have some alcohol in it. So uh, here we are. Uh, I have a uh, small uh, little bit of a farmhouse pumpkin uh, from Hardywood. My wife was picking out some beers for her, and she loves pumpkin anything, uh, as, as some people do, and, and we do as well. And so she saw these in the store, picked them up for herself, so I made her crack one tonight, and I took a little bit of it, and I'm trying to take a get a good flavor. Farmhouses are good. Farmhouse beers are, they're a little bit unique. They're a little bit off the, the path for me. I drink a lot of IPAs, a lot of um, bold flavors. Farmhouses are a little bit more subdued for me. This one has that pumpkin punch to it. And that might just be the fact that it actually has liquor in it. I think it's seven and a half percent and it's really good. My first sip is, was a little bit of intense, but the second and third was, was pretty good. It's very smooth. It's a nice fall 
beer uh, as many pumpkin beers are, uh, but it's not overpowering. I think the farmhouse style actually helps a lot with um, not making it too sweet uh, from the pumpkin and gives it a nice flavor profile. So it's the Hardywood uh, farmhouse pumpkin. And I know it's early, it's September, but uh, you know, pumpkin beers are on the shelves. So here you go. Yeah, and you got to get them now because they will be gone by the time you actually want to be drinking them a lot. And you like those ones that are a little bit more subdued when it comes to the pumpkins. For example, the dog fish head is always one of your favorites, the pumpkin. Yep. And is that similar to that in a way? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Okay. The, the 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 pumpkin has, um, I would say the pumpkin has a lot, a little bit more malty feel to it uh, when I when I drink it than this one. It's a little bit lighter, as you'd expect from a farmhouse, but it is, it's good. It's not. I'm trying to think of really um, intense pumpkin beer. When I think uh, of a farmhouse, I kind of think of like lighter carbonation, yep. almost more. Not creamy isn't the right word, but and a little bit of a hot bite. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right, and probably why I like the Pump King is probably a good example of like a really bold kind of in your face. It's, mm-hmm. It gets almost to a sweet side that I'm not really as much of a fan of. This is this is really good. It's it's um, I I do it again. Nice. I'm drinking an Oktoberfest. It's from Sha- it's from Schlafly, Schlafly. Mm-hmm. I never get this brewery right, but it's a very popular brewery. You'll see it all over the place. And I'm not sure I've ever had their October, Oktoberfest, despite having their pumpkin and their Christmas and all kinds of other of their beers. But this Oktoberfest, it's very good. It's 5.5% alcohol. And of the Oktoberfests I've observed, most of them are almost exactly 5.5%. I had the Sierra Nevada earlier tonight. I also tried the Yards Unterdog, and they're both like right at that 5.5, 5.6. This one is very good. I would I would consider myself an expert when it comes to Oktoberfest. And so this one, <laughs> I do really like. I've always said I traditionally like the German Oktoberfest better, which makes sense because they <laughs> invented it. But the American style, which tends to be a little bit more heavy, a little bit more malty, has also it has its place and so this one leans german it is lighter it's uh not that darker color it's definitely almost it's very pale in color whereas like the sierra nevada oktoberfest that thing is dark in the glass however it's also very good i would i would if you like those kind of just slightly it's not syrupy but it it goes that direction that's the sierra nevada this it it drinks more like a Pilsner. You know, it's got it's a little bit more lighter mouthfeel. And I'd say the same thing about the Unterdog from Yards. That one was lighter, but almost had like a bready kind of flavor behind it. it that one was probably the least favorite of the three. But the Schlafly, I would recommend it. And I've got maybe one other I'm going to do tonight, uh, just a quick review later on. of. I think I'm going to try the Bells, which is sitting right in front of me, and I haven't tried it yet. Thanks. All right, enough about beer. West Virginia, 12 p.m. on FS1. We actually get a different channel this time, Robbie, which means we might get some better commercials. Yeah, at least different commercials. I don't know if we're going to get better ones. <laughs> right, it's it's the rivalry. It's the old hatred. And for me and you, when we were in school, you know, we played West Virginia every year while we were at Tech. Yep. And that ages us a little bit, but it also means – we have a different kind of distaste for the Mountaineers. 
Yeah, it's a little bit more palatable uh, for maybe some others and, and not so much for, for us. And the Black Diamond Trophy was... There was uh, there was some hatred uh, going back to even uh, the Marcus Vick middle finger. Uh, a lot of the situations that happened over the years, it's always a little dicey. Luckily, we got the best of them the last time we played, but um, there's a lot of people that do not have the fondest of memories of heading to Morgantown to experience games and let's just call it a rowdy fan base. Yeah. I personally have never been to Morgantown and not to a game at their stadium. However, back in the day, I would have never considered it. Like I would have considered going to this year's game, maybe one cause I'm older, but two, just not playing them as often. The, the hatred has died down. But back then I had friends that went and like, a lot of times didn't end all that well. <laughs> like no. they, they, they genuinely hated us and we hated them. WVU was six and four last year, four and four in conference. And they're currently coached by Neil Brown, who is 11, 11 in his two year stint at WVU in week one, they played Maryland and they actually lost, which was kind of a big game 30 to 24. Although West Virginia had four turnovers and, Tua's brother like tore them up. Uh, I mean, yeah. they had 496 yards of offense. Did Maryland? So it was it wasn't a great look for West Virginia, and maybe that gives us some hope. But I also don't think they were quite expecting that. Yeah, the turnovers were just absolutely brutal. But um, yeah, Tua Tagovailoa's brother was he's obviously gonna gonna be a rock star and has been for for them. He had good both his past two games. He had really solid outings. He carved up the WVU uh, defense. Um, I think the, and really left me with the thought that, and whether it's real or it's just that game and the subsequent game, that the rush defense for, for WVU is, is definitely better than their past defense, at least you know statistically from what I saw. Yeah, it seems that way. They beat a no-name FCS team last week in uh, Long Island, which I didn't even know they, they had a football team. But uh, West Virginia did win 66 nothing, And like I said earlier in the podcast, they're 43rd in the S&P. Athlon projected West Virginia to go 7-5. and I'm not sure if that included a win over Maryland or not, but they weren't projected to go out and win 10 games. This was supposed to be a fairly average team. And like you said, I'm much more afraid of their defense, I think, than their offense. Yeah, I would agree with that. And... Yeah, maybe we can roll through their offense first, and then we'll hit the uh, the sure. the more vaunted. So, Jarrett Dogecoin um, or Dog, however you want to pronounce his name. I th- I think it's oh God. Doge. I had it earlier. I I saw, like I was listening to a West Virginia podcast just to like kind of prep for this, and it's like Daggy or something. Oh, like really? That. Yeah. All right. So, Dogecoin is um, <laughs> is their quarterback. So. Um, he's 536 yards passing, um, this year, two games, four TDs, two interception. Three of those TDs came this past weekend against the, the Long Island state team, which we, like you said, we didn't even know existed. Um, and the two interceptions were actually against Maryland. So that gives you a little sense. He also put up, um, a decent number of those yards in the, the Long Island game. So, uh, overall, you know, last year, I think he had 2,600 yards passing and a 14-4 TD to interception ratio. So he's okay, I guess, you know, and the interceptions have really plagued him in these, in these first few games, but, 
um, you know, it's it's difficult. I think he does have um, really good wide receivers, honestly, and um, a host of them, probably four or five guys that are out there that they spread the ball around to. So, you know, they can do a bit of damage through the air. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the wide receivers. And last year, he was second team all Big 12, according to Pro Football Focus. So, so I don't know if that's more a reflection of the quality of quarterbacks in the Big 12 last year or what, but he is a one-dimensional quarterback. He can pass the ball okay, but he cannot move around. Mm-hmm. I think Chris Coleman said his career rushing is negative 432. Like, yeah. like he he is a statue in the backfield. I think he was negative he 26 in this last plays. game. Yeah. What's that? In the last game, I think he was negative 26 yards. Uh, oh, God. So. Yeah. Like these days in college football and pro football, you need a quarterback that can extend plays with his legs. And Deggy does not do that at all. Uh, And down the field, he also struggles. So he's really kind of a a short distance passer, but he's good at that. Like he actually is a good passer when it comes to those, you know, 30 yard and under routes. And he he put 64% up last year, you know, passing the football and had a 132 rating like that's that's okay like it, it's 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 not great but it's it's okay what is the question for us is can we cover the wide receivers right. and can we slow down their running game the running game is is not really a threat however their back is good letty brown six foot two twelve he was second team all big 12 in the preseason according to athlon and he was the only running back to run at all versus Maryland. He yeah. had 17 for 77 in that game. So a decent day, 1,000 yards last year. He's a good back, but as a team, they're only running for 3.24 yards per carry. They're 102nd FBS in the average, uh, but they have seven rush GDs. Some of that is from the running backs, but some of it is from the backup quarterback who yes. some of their fans are clamoring to get on the field. Yeah, so Garrett Green... Um, I think he's going to get the ball more against us. I think, honestly, he had a pretty good day and put some yards up on the ground. Letty Brown, like you said, he's got 104 yards on the year with four TDs, and there's no production behind him outside of when Garrett Green is under center. And he's he's got some mobility, and he can really do some damage. So I would expect to see him more in the game. But the... The fan base of WVU is very split on who they want out there. And it's true. Yeah. It, the, the, it really depends who you're who you're listening to. I know because it seems clear that they're kind of in a situation just like we are, where like they don't trust the backup quarterbacks to throw and get green to throw, but he can move so much better than Deggy that they want to give him a shot. It's kind of like a build for the future kind of thing. But when you've got these kind of wide receivers in Wright, Sean Ryan, Sam James, and Ford Wheaton, like they got four junior receivers, all of which do different things well. Ford Wheaton, he's 6'3, 220. He's a really big dude. Mm-hmm. And he can make like those long plays. And Sean Ryan's another 6'3 guy. He's a little skinnier, but he's going for 20 yards per catch so far. Wright yeah. is the really dynamic one. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you have uh, so you know between Wright, Wheaton, James, and 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 Green, you got 125 yards, one TD, 120, two TDs, 101 yards, and 97. They spread the ball to all these guys: six receptions, eight, nine, and six receptions. So, um, 
they're there's gonna they're gonna play them all and mm-hmm. it's gonna be interesting to see and right is also their kick returner. He's got some speed. So he's I think he's probably leading the nation right now in kickoff returns. He um, is. with 217 yards. He had a 90-yard TD last last game and he had a 98-yard against Maryland that got you know, he got tripped up or he got tackled right at the end zone. So <laughs> he's he's a quick dude. So the four of them, we're going to have to be the, the DBs are going to have to be on their game in this because they have they have some people to throw it out to. Yeah, he's number one in kick return average, and he was also their leading receiver in receptions and yards last year. Right, he's only five nine, but he's a possession guy, and he's quick and fast, and absolutely someone I am worried about. Their tight end has no receptions on the year. Michael Laughlin, <laughs> he just had fifteen last year. I'm not sure that's a key part of their offense at no. this point. No, but their offensive line is interesting. Mainly because it has Doug Nestor on it, he they uh, they added him to two returning starters, and Nestor started in week two, but not week one. They got some dudes up front. There's at least one All Conference guy. I think it's Frazier, um, but they don't run block well. They pass block pretty solid, and they're only giving up four and a half TFL per game. That's the same as Tech, um, but over half of them for for. WVU are sacks. So when they do give up a TFL, it's because Deggie can't move and he gets sacked. Yeah. So, and going up against Doug Nestor will be, will be interesting uh, to say the least. So uh, they do, they, they, they pass block well, which is all the more interesting how green is able to do um, so much with his, his legs. And it's, it makes him, you know, dangerous if he's coming in the game at all. For sure. Overall, I'd say it's a pretty solid offense, a little bit more dangerous than ours. It's going to be a good test for the DBs again this week. Uh, probably a better O-line than UNC. I actually do think it's probably better overall than UNC on the up front, uh, or at least better than what UNC showed in week one. They've got better wide receivers, but a worse QB than North Carolina. That's that's kind of what I what I'd say at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's move over to their defense. Last year, if you told me that they were 17th in defense in the SP+, I, I would not have believed you for a second. I had no idea that they got it going that quick on the defensive side of the ball, but they were a top 20 defense, and this year they've got a bunch of seniors coming back and seven of their nine top tacklers. Yeah, so it's... um. Yeah, I I said before the rush defense is definitely better than their pass defense in my opinion. They have a a very solid defense, but it's not very explosive. So if you look at they only have four sacks on the year, so they haven't been able to turn any pressure that they're putting on the quarterback into sacks. They have no interceptions and they have two fumbles recovered, neither of which I can find somebody that forced the fumble. So I'm assuming that it was a you know, bad handoff or right, something right, like right. that. So it's not even really a forced fumble. It was two fumbles recovered um, that were probably self-inflicted. So they haven't turned, um, you know, they haven't they haven't gotten, you know, turnovers and they've gone against them, which, you know, we know turnover luck tends to change uh, over the course of the year. But thus far, they haven't been, or I guess it would be their havoc rate is probably the, the better uh, term to use. It has not been that significant. 
having just the two games and one of them being against a, <laughs> a faceless LIU team, I I don't want to throw it all away because that Maryland game may have caught them by surprise or whatever, but it's really hard to judge off of the two games that we've seen because they've been just like two ends of the spectrum. Nine tackles for loss for Maryland, though, that's that's pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, that that's something that should should worry you a little bit. Uh, the fact that Maryland tore them up through the air, that would be better if I thought that we had a good passing game. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, But the fact is, we're not that great at passing. I think it's a pretty good unit. I, I do, despite what happened in the Maryland game. I actually think it's a pretty good unit. And up front, especially on the defense, Dante Stills and Mizador. yes dude that guy is really good he was second team all conference according to athlon going into the year same with stills and he is disruptive in the middle mesador is their nose tackle and he's a huge test for hoffman and the middle of our o-line yeah and both of them this year may have been slow thus far but if you look back to you know stills had seven sacks back in 2019 Mesador had five sacks last year, um, and he, you know, he was third on the team in, in tackles last year as well. So it may have started a little bit slow, but those guys are, are dudes. They are they can create some some real damage, and I think it may just be fluky in the way things have played out the first couple games, and um, definitely people to keep an eye on. And then their linebacker, uh, Josh uh, Chandler Samito, I think is uh, the way you pronounce it. Uh, yeah, we've got a couple hyphenated names on this team. <laughs> yeah, he has 15 tackles, a pass defended, and he was a monster in that Maryland game. He had 10 tackles, so uh, he's he's somebody to keep an eye on as, as well. Yeah, he was an all-conference guy from Athlon as well, too. Uh, Cowan, the bandit linebacker, and Lowe, the weak side linebacker, they're both seniors. There's just a lot of experience, and... Do you remember the kid Zach Allen from BC a couple years ago? Yeah. He was a defensive tackle, defensive end, and he had like a hundred tackles on the year from the line position. Yep, that's what Mesador is like. He's got eleven tackles this year already, and he had a bunch of tackles last year, like you said. When a defensive lineman, particularly a nose tackle, is getting that many tackles, yeah, that's a dangerous dude like that is a guy that has a high motor and is just getting to the football so i worry about mesador big time in the back end three of their top five tacklers on the team are senior safeties and die young and mahone and i i know their cbs got beat a lot fortune matthews and porter they're okay they're vulnerable that's something that french pointed out in his review that their cbs are vulnerable but that was based on what maryland could do Maybe when you see these like pretty experienced CBs and Fortune and Matthews uh, go up against our guys, it wouldn't be like that. So I, I think this defense is pretty good. So nine seniors uh, starting on this defense by my count. It's it's something that I am definitely worried about. Yeah, especially they had a great defense last year. A lot of those same people came back, and um, you know, with another year, yeah, it's definitely the unit um, between the offense and defense I'm, I'm most worried about. And Alonzo and, and Scotty Young, I don't think Scotty Young played last year. He might have been injured because he racked up only a couple of stats. Um, but they have seven tackles. They have three pass breakups between them. So, and um, they, they're they good, man. Those safeties are legit. Yeah. I do think we'll have a chance 
to make some plays on the outside. I really do. I just hope that Burmeister can make those plays. Trey and Tavion can make those plays. And maybe we'll finally see Payout get a catch in this game. Yeah, I think he has he has one target so far, and it was in the last game. I'm pretty sure, uh, or maybe it was in might have been in this game. I can't I can't recall. Well, he also had the it was the fake toss sweep yeah. that Blumrick kept and went yeah. around the side. That That's was uh, the guy on the other end of that was Payout. Oh uh, yeah. No. So analysis and keys for this game. It's the first hostile environment since UVA in 2019, if you can call UVA hostile. But that day it kind of was because we knew the Coastal was on the line. So this this Hokies team has not been in a really crazy crowd in a while. And I guarantee you Morgantown's going to be pretty nuts. Yeah, it, it certainly will be. It's The atmosphere is going to be a little bit different. So it'll be a little bit louder when we have the ball than uh, they've experienced in these first two games. That's for sure. I got this from French. He said that WVU will probably try and flood the box with second level defenders while their hybrid front floor shows a wide variety of looks to confuse text blocking scheme. Hmm. So, and I think that's pretty much right on the money. How does our run game look when they are just basically just trying to shut that down and we might have to pass our way to victory. That's going to be interesting. I think we'll still be able to run the ball. I do have a lot of faith in our offensive line and our running backs that we're still going to be able to move it on the ground. But if they do shut that down, we need, we need BB to step up. We need him (laughs) at BB three. I'm not sure I'm behind that nickname, but we need (laughs) Burmeister to step up and expose those corners. Yeah, the the pass game is going to be critical. I mean, my notes here were, you know, you need to continue to shut down WVU's run game as people have done, make them one dimensional, which, and then, you know, we'll have to put it on our DBs to see what they can do and see if they can, they can shut down those, those talented receivers. And on offense, we got to show more ability to get past the ball more than seven yards down the field. We, we yeah. just got to be able to, to do, do more there. Um, and be a little bit, we're still explosive. It's just few and far between the, the instances that we're, we're really going for it. So, um, and then I think we need to really find um, continued build of that kind of chemistry between Blackshear and uh, Holston. Um, you know, Blackshear showed up big in the, in the second game. Holston was big in the first game. And I think we're going to need both of them here along with, I know we don't want it, but we're going to need that threat of Burmeister's run to really stretch the defense. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to be a bit of a slugfest, like a tight game most of the way through, and whoever can make a few big plays is going to win. And that could be a turnover. That could be in the return game because both teams are bringing in good return men. So a, a kickoff return for a touchdown or a punt return for a touchdown could be the difference. If they play... Daggy, the whole game, I think we win the game. But I know they're going to mix Green in there. I just know it. And he is going to be something that I kn- our coaches will have planned for it, but it's just so hard to wrangle in a good running quarterback when you don't know what they might do in the game. And so Green's going to come in. He's going to have some packages, and that could be the big play. That could be the difference. But I'm thinking like, 20 to 17, 17, 16, something like that. It's going to be low scoring. I like the under. 
um, and just a difference of a few big plays. Yeah, and to that point, just keep don't change anything. Keep doing what we've been doing on penalties and turnovers. That is, this is not the game for that to um, go a different direction than it has been. Yeah. <laughs> this is not it. So don't make. <laughs> Keep doing what you've been doing with regard to, to avoiding the penalties and avoiding turnovers. If we can do that again, um, that'll put us in good shape. That's interesting because we may need a big play to win this game. But what I was saying about Burmeister about being risk averse, I'm not sure if I want the big play to come from him gunslinging. Yes. Because if he throws an interception that is a pick six or something – then you know we've undone all the stuff that we've done this year and taking care of the football. So that's oh man, I, I'm already sweating thinking about this one. <laughs> yeah, for, for the me, the line is it really, WVU minus three. Yeah, what do you think about that? Yeah, I it's, it seems a little bit strange, probably because it's just Morgantown and the fact that you know it's going to be our first hostile environment, like you said, in a while. I'm I'm really worried about four factors in this game penalties our team penalties turnovers avoiding something crazy on special teams and then green those are the four factors that i'm most concerned about that could make this game go the wrong direction pretty quickly yeah i i think i think you got it right there man let's do a little rehash on the schedule i know we talked about our schedule before the season and i said it was sneaky difficult well i i don't deny that i'm not going to take it back in full about the end of the year and how many road games we got however it is materially weaker than it is than it was at the beginning of the year at least to me gt stinks duke stinks bc just lost their quarterback and jerkovich for the year miami has not looked very good and pitt Barely got by Tennessee, which it was a road win in Nayland, so I'll give him a little bit of credit. But I would have liked a little bit larger margin on that one if Pitt's actually going to be decent. It doesn't mean I think like WVU is any less tough. The fact they lost to Maryland, but strength is schedule wise, like it's weaker than I thought it might be. Yeah, it is definitely weaker. It depends on how you want to look at things. If it's setting up so any losses that we take are not going to be looked at very favorably on the national landscape. That's for sure. No. That said, I don't know if you necessarily want the gauntlet ahead of you either in terms of, so it cuts both ways depending on what you want. So the, the which is pretty obvious, the positives are there potentially is an easier road to maybe getting north or well north of the win totals that we thought. And if there are some teams like BC, if they somehow find a quarter, it always seems that people find like a quarterback against us, even when they lose somebody. If mm-hmm. one of those games, they pull, somebody pulls something out of their hat or we, you know, step on our, step on ourselves, then it's not going to look very good overall on a, on a national landscape. So you never know when someone's going to find their Blake LaRussa yeah, like ODU. Exactly. And he, and he has a, the day of his life before he goes to seminary school. Uh, that could be that could be Grossell for uh, for BC this year. But yeah, I, I mean, you're exactly right. It, it, it's a balance between 
No, the losses aren't going to look good, but there's a potential for a lot more wins than I thought on this schedule because of how bad Duke looks, how bad GT looks. Syracuse hasn't looked great. I was happy they beat Ohio, but then they go out and get beat by like double digits by Rutgers. So, yeah. I mean, and Russ, Rutgers had like 160 yard total yards in that game. Which is... <laughs> I mean, the ACC is just, it's so bad. And like a couple years ago, we thought they hired these good coaches. Like Dino was looking good. Bronco was a good hire. Fuente was a good hire. Cutcliffe was still doing his thing. And it's just, no one turned out. Like Doran is just so average. The the Wake Forest coach Clawson, like he's okay. Yeah. He's at Wake, so they're they're fine. They might come in second in the Atlantic this year by default. Yeah, I mean he's doing he's doing pretty good with what he has. That's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough. That's enough about that. I am drinking a Bell's Oktoberfest. This is out of Comstock, Michigan. Everyone knows Bell's. They make their Oberon. Uh, what's the other one from Bell's that we all love? The Hop Slam. The Two Hearted. And the, the Hop two Slam. Hearted. Yeah, and, and the hops and the hops. Yes, yeah. dude, the two hearted is great. I had that at my wedding. It was That's one of the, right. the five beers that we could that we could drink. But uh, but yeah, the Oktoberfest is very good. It's your traditional Mars and Lager Oktoberfest. I think this one might have just a little bit more flavor than the Schlafly. Oh yeah, yeah. I think I like this one the best I've had so far this season. The nice. Bell's Oktoberfest. This might. This might be doing it for me. It might just be because I'm all juiced up about the WVU game coming up, but I really like this. Um, we got picks, man, and we got a we got a handful of good games here. I kind of made the slate a few games bigger just because I thought there were some fun Power Five matchups. I saw that, so we got some. Uh, yeah, we got some picks to do here. UCF at Louisville is the first one we're gonna pick. And I like this one only because Louisville embarrassed themselves on national TV week one. I don't know what to do here, but I'm, I feel like Louisville has to have a game at some point, but yeah, they've been, they've been embarrassing thus far along with the rest of the ACC. But I I have Louisville at home, um, you know, uh, covering the, uh, or, or I guess it would be, yeah, the seven points, right? Yes, it's seven points. Louisville is the underdog. I'm going to take Louisville at home too. I don't, I don't think they're very good, but I just feel like they can muster something at home. And man, that old Miss game was so so bad. They beat Eastern Kentucky last week, thirty to three. Come on, Louisville, put it on for the conference. Try to at least cover. At least Cincinnati at Indiana. Indiana three and a half point home dogs. Cincy's in the top ten. And Indiana got stomped week one. This is an interesting game. Yeah, I have Cincinnati here, the new uh, the new entrant into the Big 12. And it's just, you know, with Fickle, it's just a good team. They're really solid, really well coached. I know they're going to be on the road here, but uh, I feel like since the, it, the top 10 for them really doesn't matter because they need to, they need to win every single game. So there, yeah. there's always pressure on on these teams because they have no shot unless they unless they win everything and go clean clean slate. So I don't think the pressure is really going to matter for them in this game, and I think they can pull it out against Indiana. Yeah, I mean, Cincinnati doesn't really have a chance at the playoff anyway because Indiana lost. Notre Dame's not looking good, and both those teams are on Cincinnati's schedule. Yep. But if they had run the table and those teams 
you know, won their division or in Notre Dame's case, like lost one game, then it would look really good. Long story short, I'm taking Cincinnati. I know Indiana's at home. I know they're probably not as bad as that Iowa game because Iowa got some good turnover luck. But I think Cincinnati's really good. So I'm going to take them to cover those points. Purdue at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, seven-point favorites over a Power 5 team after winning last game by the skin of their teeth. Who are you going with? I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Yeah, I got to go first. Notre Dame, I think they bounce back. I think Brian Kelly gets purple in the locker room after the, the Toledo game <laughs> and and got everyone like all in a tizzy this week, and he's just like – making practice horrible and they're going to come out and they're going to beat up on Purdue. Yeah. I've Notre Dame as well. It, they, they are not as good as some people expected. That is for sure. And what we've seen, but I think the, they're better than what they've put out on the field. And I think that, um, you know, purple face, uh, is definitely going to come out and, um, it's going to lead to some better play. So I, I have Notre Dame, um, I don't know what to expect from Purdue, really, and I, I, I think I, I I don't know a thing about Purdue, man. I mean, I, Jeff Brown was the chosen, you know, mm-hmm. golden boy there, and he just he's just not that great. Yep, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> Michigan State at Miami. This is a fun out of conference game, part of the new alliance, I guess. Right? <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the triple alliance between the ACC, uh, the PAC, and uh, the Big Ten. Miami six and a half point favorites at home, coming off the win over Appalachian State and the loss to Alabama. You know Miami needs to win this for the ACC. If you go out and lose to what is viewed as a very mediocre Big Ten team, that's bad for the conference. I don't like Miami. I don't think I necessarily like want them to win, but for the ACC's sake, I hope they win and I hope they cover. And that's my pick. I have Miami. They after these past two games. A lot of the people that watched uh, the Miami game said it didn't even look like they wanted to be out there. I have a feeling that they're going to get their stuff together and show yeah. a little bit more emotion and fire in this game. They they need to, honestly. They absolutely need to after the first two weeks. I'm actually shocked they won that Appalachian State game. Like, I'm, I'm actually kind of shocked. UVA at UNC. This might be the game I'm looking forward to the most other than our game. UNC nine-point favorites at home against the UVA Cavaliers. And this is a big game in the Coastal. UVA's been slinging it around, throwing for a lot of yards against some crappy teams. Is this going to be a shootout, Robbie? What do you like in this game? I got UVA uh, covering those nine points. Uh, I know it's on the road, but UVA's defense is usually pretty good and can step up. We'll see what how looks like he's starting to turn it around. That offense is becoming what we think. I think it's going to be a shootout. I could see this being a pretty high-scoring game, uh, honestly. And I could see UVA losing, but keeping it within, you know, near a touchdown, something like that, uh, when all is said and done. Yeah, I liked UNC when I first saw the line. I thought nine points was a bit much. But UNC lost to UVA last year in what was kind of an unlikely loss. They're in Chapel Hill. We saw how they played against us in Chapel Hill. I'm going to take UNC to cover the nine. I think they're significantly better than UVA. Yep. Next game, FSU at Wake Forest. FSU coming off the disastrous game. And Wake, five and a half point favorites at home. 
I don't really feel good. I feel like that line should be bigger. I, I feel like uh, I know that 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 last play in the FSU game doesn't like mean like they FSU still should have won that game. Yep. But they should have never been that close. I'm gonna take Wake, but I I'm not loving this pick. Yeah, I have. I'm struggling because FSU in recent years has shown that they can, when the wheels come off, they just, they literally, they, there's no soft flat tire. They have blowouts, mm-hmm. you know, doing 75 miles an hour down the highway and then, you know, the car explodes. So that is what makes me worried is that's a good point that that has me concerned I'm going to take FSU. I feel horrible about the pick, honestly, but I had it written that way. That, You're going but, to bounce back. Yeah. And I, I can say that if, if they, if they get like, if they lose handily or, or get blown out by wake, that means, yeah, this is just a, this is just a tire fire and I'm not picking them for the rest of the year. When you get blown out like that, or should I say lose a bad game at home? That's just so depressing. It reminds me of when we lost to Duke. And sometimes the best thing for a team to do is go on the road the next week. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did when we went down to Miami and we won a game that we were 14-point underdogs. For FSU right now, getting out of Tallahassee and playing an away game in what is not a dangerous environment in Winston-Salem is the best recipe. However, I think they suck, and I'm going to subscribe <laughs> to your – I think they're falling apart maybe. I'm going to stick with my wake pick, but again, I don't feel awesome. GT at Clemson. Clemson, 28 and a half point favorites at home. Who you got, Robbie? I'm going to go Clemson, and I know that is a ton of points, and and here's why. I think we have verified, especially in the Georgia game, that Clemson's defense is really, really good. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know what Georgia Tech's going to be able to put on the board. We also know everybody in the media is talking about Clemson's offensive line and how it's not nearly as good. Everybody knew it was going to take a step back, but it is a lot struggling a lot more than anybody anticipated. So I think there's a lot to prove here by that offensive line. I think they're going to see them bully and push around this Georgia Tech team and give a lot of pass protection. And they're going to be able to throw the ball and they're going to be able to put up some points. I could see them scoring over 40, and I don't know that I really see Georgia Tech getting above 10. Yeah, Clemson's going to blow their doors off. Yeah. You get a Clemson line any of the last few years under 30, you take Clemson. <laughs> and I know they lost to Georgia. I don't care. Georgia Tech sucks. And Northern Illinois was blowing Georgia Tech off the line. What do you think Clemson's offensive line is going to do to them? Yeah. So I, this is an easy pick for me, Clemson. Bama at Florida. Florida 15 and a half point underdogs at home. And I'll go first this time. I'm taking Bama. I don't think Florida's very good. I'm taking Bama as well. That fit. The way that they're just rolling. There's just no other way to put it. They're just I know Mercer did a little bit and scored a couple points, but I I think they can win by three touchdowns and it yeah. shouldn't even be hard for them. Auburn at Penn State. This is going to be the game day game. This is our last pick. Penn State, six-point favorites at home. They got the big win over Wisconsin on the road week one. That was impressive. Auburn, I believe, is 2-0 and ranked. So this is going to be going to be a little fun. I have no faith in Bo Nix, not against that Penn State defense. I'm taking Penn State to cover six. 
Well, we're going to be relatively boring this week. We have a few different picks, but I had Penn State as well. Well, I think I did terrible last week. I think my picks were atrocious. I did not run the numbers on them yet. Um, I well, the, I'm just thinking out in my head about the Iowa State pick. And Bud Elliott said this on their podcast. He's like, Iowa State was not the wrong side. It's just they had bad turnover luck. Well, it's still the wrong side. We had lost the pick. Um, speaking of Bud Elliott, when I was listening to the cover three this week, he said that he took Virginia Tech in the West Virginia game. And then he heard the James Mitchell news, and he's like, "I feel like I'm sitting on a grenade." Oh my goodness! <laughs> and that's that was his direct quote. So he had he took the Hokies, but he doesn't necessarily feel good about it. Oh, that is uh, that's not a fun line. Do you? <laughs> um, well, I you did have app, you had app covering last week, so you had that one. Oh, that's good. We both had NC State. That did go well. Dude, NC State really let me down, man. They yeah. really, really did. And I know they they, they had some injuries, but they, I think Chip Patterson on the same podcast was saying, like, he's the North Carolina guy, and he knows NC State well, and he's like, this is what NC State does. When they go on the road against these out-of-conference teams, they, they just lay an egg, and then they come back in conference, and they might have, like, a really good year. Yep. But the, the damage is already done out-of-conference. Yeah. It's uh, it's strange, man. Anyway, that was a fun podcast, and I am I am so looking forward to this game. I'm actually going to be in Blacksburg this weekend, Robbie. Oh, are you? I am going down. Uh, we're seeing a track meet or cross country meet at JMU on Friday. My wife uh, ran there, so we're going to go see her old coach and see the meet. And then Saturday morning, bright and early, head down to Blacksburg, watch the game with some friends, and then out and about in downtown for the rest of the day. I'm hoping to do a little bit of a crawl around. And then um, I've heard good things about the Maroon Door from a few people on Twitter, which is in the old Mike's Grill spot. Oh, And so they've got beer. I think it's a brewery. And they've got kind of a funky menu. So we might end up having dinner there. Well, there's high expectations if they serve any burgers there. So uh, I don't know if they can live <laughs> up to, to the Mike's burgers. So. Dude, I miss Mike's, man. Mike's was the best. Yeah. Well, uh, are you, you're going to the game. No, 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 no. The game's in Morgantown. Oh, know. yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's away. My, my fault. So you're going <laughs> to I know. It is confusing. It is confusing. I am yeah. going to Blacksburg, but it's the first time I'm going to Blacksburg on a nine, non-game weekend Oh, in maybe since I was a student. That'll I mean, I, I have so rarely gone to Blacksburg. I've, I've uh, never been back since being there for a, when there was not a home game. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, home games are the reason you go visit. I did learn after the fact, after we planned everything and we couldn't find a hotel room, that it's parents' weekend. Oh, oh. <laughs> and so there will be a crowd uh, in Blacksburg, but it's going to be students and their parents. We're staying at a friend's house down in the Berg, so it'll be all good. Shout out to Karen and Ron for putting us up. Much appreciated. But, uh, but yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped. I haven't. Dude, the pandemic, that that kept me out, and I think I missed a game, a home game in 2019. So the last game I went to was when you treated me with your seats at that Miami game. Wow. Um, that's crazy. And, well, and, and you get to uh, – you're definitely going to get to see at least a handful of uh, drunk, two drunk moms and dads, which is always awesome. <laughs> the ones that, like, don't yeah. know when to turn it off and think they can hang, and then they're just, like, blitzed at the bar, and everybody's like, oh, no. 
Yeah, they get their son or daughter is just like, hey, mom, why don't you try a rail? Yeah, yeah. and then it's TKO, and then <laughs> it lights out. Yeah, I want to get the PKs. I want to get the hooky house. I want to get the sharkies. I want to get the tots. I don't know how I'm going to fit it all in, but I'm going to try because we're only there for one night and maybe the next morning. But uh, I'm psyched. I can't, I can't nice. wait to get down there. Good stuff. All right, until next time. Well, let me run through the stuff. Hit us on Twitter. It's at 2DVT. 2dvt at gmail.com 2dvt.com is our website you can stream all our podcasts check out all the beers we've had and you know check out robbie's stats which he's going to be uploading soon here all the quarterback stats from the last few years you can check out on the site and then 2dvt on twitter as well or 2dvt on instagram as well we are on everything make sure to rate review and subscribe on apple podcast and find us on spotify Until next time, when hopefully we are celebrating a big victory over West Virginia and our 3-0, go Hokies. Go Hokies.